0: Good morning everyone, good to see all of you. Uh, for many of you, I'm a familiar face, it's great to be back with the church family here in Augusta. Uh, we moved away, Sydney and I moved away about a month and a half ago, and so uh, before we moved, Bert and I arranged for me to come back and preach, and I was like, man, a month and a half, that's not that, that's not that long, that's good, so it's great to be back with you all. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Brian Burl. I uh, came to school in Augusta and got involved with the church then, and uh, it was here that the Lord called me to ministry. And I've been on staff at Crawford Avenue Baptist for three years. Uh, and then this, about two months ago, the church commissioned my wife and myself to move back to my hometown, Moultrie, Georgia, to plant a new church. And so we've been there for about a month and a half. And I was telling someone last night, uh, we've made lots of great relationships, just real intimate friendships. The gnats are just all so close to you and the mosquitoes. And if, if, you, if you've been from South Georgia, you get that joke. If not, just ask someone below the gnat line. So um, really excited to be with you guys this morning. Uh, this morning, I'm going to be preaching from uh, Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. That was part of the verses read. Uh, if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to Hebrews 4. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one under the chair in front of you, and it'll be on page 1003. As you turn there, I just want to uh, say that how, as I mentioned, how uh, great it is to be back. It's so encouraging to know that so many of you are uh, praying for Sydney and I regularly. Church planning is a work of God. It's not a work of man. To start a new church, that's something that only the Lord can do. He can use us, but that's the work of God. And so it's so encouraging whenever I've talked to some of you. I remember one person who told me that uh, every night when they do family worship time with their family at at this church, uh, that they pray for the Burrows in Moultrie. And that is so encouraging for us to hear. And even more than encouraging, it works. God's given us avenue to tap into uh, divine, supernatural help through prayer. And so thank you so much for each of you who are giving generously and and also for praying. Thank you so much. And please continue to, please continue to pray uh, that disciples would be made in South Georgia through the ministry of this church plant and that Crawford Avenue would play a part in that. Great to see all of you. Let's jump in. Hebrews 4 verse 14. I'll read. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, Let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Thank you so much for the privilege and the gift to gather together to worship. God, I'm thinking of Hebrews ten, twenty-four and 25, which encourages uh, the Christians to, to not neglect meeting together, but to, to gather together and encourage one another all the more as the day draws near. Lord, thank you that we can gather together this morning and sing and worship and pray and learn from your word. And so, Lord, I pray right now, God, that as I preach, I pray that you would be glorified And I pray that you would change us. I pray that you would change me. I pray that you would change all of us in this room. God, that we would know Jesus and cling to Jesus and follow Jesus faithfully and uh, approach your throne of grace with confidence and hold fast to our confession. Lord, we love you. Please be with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Sometimes the right help at the right time can make all the difference. I'm going to say that again. Sometimes the right help, having the right help at the right time can make all the difference. Several years ago when I moved to Augusta, I started liking a girl. Uh, Spoiler alert, she's now my wife sitting right here, my beautiful wife. And I remember thinking I was meeting Sydney and I was involved at the church. And I remember thinking, you know what, I'm going to ask this girl on a date. I want to get to know her. It seems like she loves the Lord. I really, I think I should ask her on a date. And so I made a plan that I was going to ask her out to eat, and I had found this really good fried catfish hole-in-the-wall place. Now, before you get to judging, I'm from South Georgia, and in Moultrie, we grew up with, with the, 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 it was kind of, you didn't have your kind of big city. I was, I was um, untutored in regards to asking a girl on a date to a nice restaurant. And so I remember I didn't know many restaurants here, but I'd found this fried catfish and hush puppies. I was thinking, man, I'm going to ask her there. And I remember I told my brother who had lived in Augusta many years before and his wife, I said, yeah, I'm I'm liking this girl. She seems really godly. I think I'm going to ask her. I'm going to ask her this place. And they said, ooh, I wouldn't do that. And I'm like, what do you, what do you mean? They have really good fried catfish. (laughs) And they said, I remember my brother's wife said, Brian, I mean, you can ask her there, but we've lived in Augusta. How about, how about you just, how about you just ask her this place? The right help, the right advice, the right help at the right time can make all the difference. So, I followed their advice, asked Sydney to the, to the nicer place that actually had like salad and green stuff on the plate and uh, wasn't all fried, and, and here we go. Now we're six years later. We're, we're married and have two kids. The right help at the right time can make all the difference. This morning, as we look at Hebrews, we're gonna see God's help for us as we try to follow Christ faithfully. The right help at the right time can make all the difference. And here's the thing, in our fight for faithfulness, in our journey in the Christian life, God offers help. He offers to help us. So we're going to look at the help that God offers. The big idea this morning, if you're taking notes, the big idea, the main idea is that in your fight for faithfulness, go to God for help. In your fight for faithfulness, in trying to follow Christ faithfully, go to God for help. We're going to look at our passage, the verses 14 through verses 16, in two parts. First of all, we're going to see the call to faithfulness in verse 14, and then we're going to see God's help in verses 15 and 16. So first, let's look at the call to faithfulness. This is in verse 14, the call to faithfulness. I'll read Hebrews 4:14. 4, Since then we have a high priest, a great high priest, who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. In verse 14, the author of Hebrews is exhorting the readers to hold fast to their confession. It says, at the end of the verse, it says, let us hold fast our confession. The, the original readers, most experts believe that the people that this letter was originally written to were a group of Jewish Christians, mostly Jewish Christians, who were followers of Judaism, who were Jews, and who had embraced Jesus as their Messiah. And that's the confession that it's talked about. When it says, let us hold fast our confession, they had made the confession that Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is our Lord. Jesus is the Messiah. And so we're followers of Jesus. And now the author of Hebrews is exhorting them. He's saying, hey, let us hold fast our confession, What's happening is, and most, most experts believe that at this time, this group of Christians has under, started to, go, to undergo persecution. So they've embraced Jesus as a the Messiah, they've confessed that Jesus is the Son of God and we're going to follow him, and now it's starting to cost them something. Uh, later in Hebrews, it talks about losing your property, it talks about people being thrown in prison, uh, maybe even your life is on the line, so it's starting to be, bring physical pain, you might be losing your property, you're being persecuted, your jobs, and following Jesus for them has become costly. And so the big question is Hebrews is, hey, are these Christians going to persevere in the faith? Are they going to stay faithful to following Jesus? Or under the midst of growing pressure and persecution and obstacles, are they going to relinquish their confession that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is the Son of God, and stop being Christian? And the author right right here calls him, in verse 14, and this is a theme all throughout Hebrews, the author calls him, he says, hey, let us hold fast our confession. Don't waver. Don't shift away from it. Hold firm. Stick through it. Claim Jesus. Hold on to Jesus. Hold fast to your confession. And for us here today, the message is the same. Hold fast to Christ. Be fully committed to Jesus. Follow Christ with wholehearted, earnest, utter devotion. Christ is the center of our lives as Christians. Christ, we've confessed that Jesus is the Son of God, and He is our Lord. So hold fast to that. For us here today, it might not be persecution that's Threatening our faith in Christ. That's threatening our Christian walk. It might be. Maybe, maybe you're undergoing some sort of persecution. Maybe you've become a Christian and your family has now kind of ostracized you since you're a Christian. Kind of, you're now a, a kind of Jesus radical person. It may be some form of persecution, or your boss, or coworkers, or fellow students may be persecuting. But it may also be many other things. Regardless of what the issue is, the author of Hebrews is encouraging us: Hey, hold fast to your confession. If you're going through uh, pain from persecution, or if you're excuse me, if you're going through pain from physical ailment. Maybe you're going through emotional pain. Maybe you're going through pain from loss, some type of loss relationship or loss from a loved one. Maybe you're going through the pain of disappointment with God. You've been trying to follow God faithfully. You've been um, trying to live for him, and you had certain hopes or expectations. You prayed earnestly that God might heal this person and that God might deliver this request, and then it maybe didn't happen, and there's a lot of pain in that and and, uh, questions and disappointment. All these things can seek to um, can hinder us and can bring up questions of, okay, is God for us? What does it look like for me to be a follower of him? And the message today, no matter what it may be, whether it's other relationships or pain or disappointment, hold fast to Christ. Hold firm to your confession. I want to give a word real quick before we move on to uh, graduating seniors. If you're a graduating senior in here, what an exciting time. I remember uh, when I was graduating from high school, and it's just a time where you're probably going to be given some more independence and freedom. Uh, You kind of have the whole, your whole life in front of you. You have the whole world in front of you. What are you going to do? It's such an exciting time. I want to especially encourage you today. Hold firm to Christ. If you've embraced Jesus as your Lord, hold firm fast. Whether you're entering the workforce or whether you're going to school or whether you're moving off to the military, wherever you may be going, I truly believe that the decisions that you make in the next two to five years have the power to determine the course of your life for the rest of your life. I'm serious about this. I remember uh, my story. I remember the Lord really got a hold of my life uh, the summer after my senior year of high school. So I graduated high school. The Lord really got a hold of my life. He changed my heart. And then I go off to the University of Georgia and I'm in Athens. And I remember distinctly being in a truck with a bunch of guys who I'd met in my dorm hall, and we were hanging out and meeting people, in it's such an exciting time, there's all these new people, I don't know anybody, everyone's introducing themselves, and then I remember somehow it got to the point where one of the guys knew some girls from his high school or something like that, and it ended up being in a truck where there's a bunch of guys and girls, and he- where everyone decides to head to downtown Athens to the bars, uh, Georgia was the number one party school in the nation when I was there, to uh, go out on the town. Now, I'm all for having a great time. I'm all for friendships with people and friendship with guys and friendships with girls in appropriate ways. And uh, With this, this trip downtown wasn't gonna be conducive for me following Christ. I could just tell. And I remember thinking in the truck right there, I remember thinking, this is not who I am. I, if I go down this road, I know what's down this road. And God has changed me. Like six months before, I dreamed of going to Athens to the freedom and the the independence and hearing rumors of what Athens is like in downtown Athens, and now I'm heading there, Uh, didn't know we were going to be heading there, and heading there in a truck, and I remember I I made a decision, a very new Christian, I remember I said, hey y'all, I don't want to go, could you take me back to the dorm? And I remember sitting in my dorm room that night, I felt like a dweeb. I was all by myself the first week of college. Everybody's out meeting each other, having a great time, and I'm sitting in my dorm, no nobody, twiddling my thumbs and like kind of open up my Bible and like, Lord, I, I'm following you. But seriously, that decision, I truly believe that that decision set me on a course where I would thrive in college. So many of my friends got derailed where it's kind of cool or fun your freshman year, but then when you're you're flunking out and you're getting arrested and you have a 0.6 GPA and you get kicked out of college and you're 30 years old and you're living, living off whoever. It's not, it's not nearly as cool anymore. I'm serious. So many, so many young people, those decisions they made in those first two to five years after graduating high school, whether at college or in the workplace or in the military, have the power to set a trajectory for the rest of your life. And from Hebrews 4.14, I exhort you this morning, hold firm to Christ. Don't let him go. Make him the center of your life and anything that may derail you or you may know your temptations or your shortfalls, don't go for it. It is not worth it. Hold fast to Christ. Look back at verse 14. I want you to see something. I want you to see that the call to faithfulness right here in verse 14 is based on who Jesus is and what he's done. So our call, he's calling us to hold fast to our confession, and it's actually in this verse, it's based on who Jesus is and what he's done. Look at this, verse 14, it says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. Do you see that? It's saying, hey, since we have a great high priest, let us hold fast to our confession. It's because of that. It's the call to faithfulness right here is based on the fact that we have a great high priest who's passed through the heavens. Now, this might not mean as much to us here today because we don't typically talk about high priests or the priesthood of the people of God in the Old Testament has now uh, stopped, ceased with Christ. But to these people, and there's a rich biblical history of what he means, where he's calling Jesus our great high priest. In the Old Testament, in the, in, in before Christ, with the people of God, uh, there was, uh, God appointed a high priest to mediate, to help mediate a relationship between God and his people. So you have a holy and righteous and perfect and all-knowing and just God in relationship or desiring to be in relationship with not holy and not righteous and not perfect and sinful people. And so there's a gap there, there's, a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a, a, a chasm that needs to be bridged, and one of the functions in the Old Testament, God appointed priests, and particularly the high priests, to help mediate that relationship, and so one of the things the high priest would do um, in, in, for Israel uh, before Christ, is he would, make a, he would make sacrifices on the day of atonement, so one day of the year, the high priest would enter in the most holy places, the inner room of the temple, and make sacrifices for the, for the sins of the people that God would overlook and dispense mercy and grace uh, so, that the, so that sinful people could be in relationship with a holy God. And this passage right here is actually saying, hey, you have a high priest, and it's Jesus. Jesus is your high priest. Earlier in Hebrews, it actually talks about, in verse two, in chapter 2, verse 17, it actually says that as our high priest, Jesus made propitiation for our sins. So similar to the high priest in the Old Testament who, who made a sacrifice to, to mediate between God and man and to bridge that gap, Hebrews says, hey, Jesus made propitiation for our sins. And then later in Hebrews, we learn that he actually didn't sacrifice bulls and goats like former priests did. The sacrifice was his own blood. That as our high priest, Jesus not only mediates the relationship between God and man and brings people to God where they can be in fellowship with God, it's through the sacrifice of himself on the cross, Jesus was our high priest and he was the sacrifice to God so that we could be restored to fellowship with God. So Hebrews is saying, hey, because you have such a high priest, hold fast to your confession. And not only that, not only when it's talking about Jesus being our high priest, is it talking about the propitiation and the sacrifice Jesus made. Look at what it says. It says that we have a high priest who has passed through the heavens. It says, since we have a high priest who has passed through the heavens. You see, the, the, the high priest for the people of God, for Israel in the Old Testament, they all died. They all served their terms and served, and then they, then they ceased to exist. But this is teaching that Jesus, our high priest, the Son of God, lives forever. He he came to earth, he took on humanity, but now he's the exalted, ruling Son of God, enthroned in heaven with God. Hebrews Hebrews 7.25 says that he, he lives right now to make intercession for us, that he's in the throne room of God, and he lives to make intercession for us. So we have a high priest who paid our penalty, who made the sacrifice, and who is the exalted Son of God, who sat down next to the right hand of God the Father, and is who is ruling and reigning, and therefore, we're to hold fast to our confession. Since we have a high priest, hold fast to your confession. For the original Jewish Christians that that the author is writing to, this would have provided amazing hope for them just before this, in chapter 4 and in chapter 3, it was a section of warning and of judgment. And uh, the author pointed back to the people of God in the Old Testament who didn't make it, who didn't hold fast, who failed and who, disobe- who were disobedient. And it said, hey, they did not enter God's rest. They did not enter the eternal life that God was promising. But he says, but for you, since you have a great high priest who's in heaven with God, hold on, you have hope. God will surely fulfill his promises to you for everlasting life if you hold on. And so this morning for us today, hold fast to your faith. Hold fast to your confession. You have a great high priest. If you know Christ hold fast to your confession. Before we move on to our second uh, part, I just want to ask, do you know him? Do you know this great high priest? Now, this this passage of scripture is exhorting people who know this high priest to hold fast their confession, but I want to rewind a little bit and just say, do you know him? And not like an intellectual. Yeah, I believe in God, or yeah, I I, I asked him and I asked him uh, one time to save me. Or, but do you really know Him? Have you been changed by Jesus? Is He the center of your life, where He's your King and you worship Jesus? If you do, this is saying, hey, follow Him faithfully. And if you don't, I want to invite you this morning. Examine your life and come to Jesus, your High Priest and the King. Come to Jesus, ask him for forgiveness of your sins. Give your heart to him and he'll become your high priest and your savior and your king and he'll give you true life. So that's part number one. There's a call to hold fast to your confession. Let's move to our second part, verses 15 and 16. God's help. Right here we see that in our, in our efforts to stay faithful, in our efforts to hold fast to our confession, That Jesus, because Jesus experienced the fullness of humanity, that because Jesus experienced the full human life and experienced trials and temptation, we can now go to him for help and God will help us. Look at verse 15, God's help. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Okay, stay with me right here. This is really good. Stay with me. Verse 14, remember verse 14, says, hold fast your confession. You have a high priest who has passed through the heavens, who's high, who's exalted, who is enthroned in heaven. Hold fast. And verse 15 almost anticipates the the objection. Well, man, okay, we have this high priest who's in heaven, who's exalted, we're down here on earth, man. We're struggling. We're, we've, we've embraced Jesus as our Messiah, but now we're suffering. Or our property's getting taken away. Our or maybe families are getting split up. Or we're being thrown in prison. Our lives are at stake. We're down here suffering. This is tough. Yes, yes, one thing that we have some grand, huge, huge guy up there, but what about us down here? And it's almost like verse 15 anticipates that objection and says, hey, yes, Jesus is as your high priest. He is your exalted, enthroned, all-ruling son of God, reigning high priest. Yet he's experienced everything that you're going through. In all of your struggles, in all of your sufferings, in all of your frailty of human flesh, and all that it means to get sick or persecuted, or for your family to leave you behind, Actually, this high priest who's exalted and in heaven, who lives forever right now, took on, was, became human. The Son of God became human and had experienced everything that you experience, with all the temptations that that brings to abandon God. So he can sympathize with you. He can help you through your sufferings and through your weaknesses. He can help you stay faithful to Jesus. He can sympathize with your loss of loved ones or with your pressures or with your uh, demands for, uh, by an over-demanding boss or f- with your um, pain or persecution. Or even with these. He, the, the Jewish audience right now, he can sympathize with persecution. Remember Jesus the night he was betrayed. Remember in the garden, he was sweating blood. He was sweating drops of blood. He could sympathize with these Jewish Christians who were being persecuted, yet he didn't sin. What did he say? Yet not as I will, but as you will, God. And because of this, the author exhorts us, because we have a high priest who can sympathize with our weaknesses, who has lived the human experience, the author exhorts us to go to the throne of grace because there is help there. Look at verse, look at verse 15. Look at verse how verse 15 leads into verse 16. It says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So Jesus knows the pain. He knows the struggle. Whatever you may be going through, whatever temptations you may be facing because of that, Jesus in his humanity has lived it. He can sympathize with you. And so verse 16 calls us to go to God's throne for help. It says, Let us then... With confidence, draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Verse 16, calling us to go to the throne of grace, is actually the means by which we hold fast to our confession. So, verse 14 says, Hey, hold fast to your confession. Verse 16 gives us the way that we can do that it's by going to the throne of grace for help that we're able to hold fast to our confession. This is, this is the means by which we can obey, verse 14. And look what it says will happen when we go to the throne of grace. It says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. Look what it says that will happen. It says that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Literally the word right there, when it says to help in time of need, it literally is saying, hey, we'll receive timely help. You'll receive help exactly when you need it to stay faithful to Christ. Jewish Christians who are being persecuted, hold fast to your confession. Pray to Christ for help. He's been there, and he'll help you exactly when the moment you need it to stay faithful. When I think about that, that timely help concept, I can't help but think of every great war movie, Let's think of, I was thinking of the Chronicles of Narnia. I know that's not like the, the macho, macho war movie, but it's still a good war movie. The, the Chronicles of Narnia, you have Peter and his army battling the, the great white witch. In the, the climactic scene, they're battling the great white witch. They're holding on, they're fighting valiantly, but you know they can't last too much longer. They can't last too much longer. And in every great war movie, the help comes at the exact right time. The hero swoops in, provides the reinforcements. Aslan and his army come running over the hill, defeat the white witch, defeat the enemy, and they are victorious. That's what this is talking about. It's saying that the greater Aslan, Jesus, God, wants to help us, and he'll help us in our exact time of need. And so go to the throne of grace. We have access to supernatural amazing help in our in our pursuit of faithfulness to be honest with you i don't know exactly what this looks like i believe it the bible says that it's true the bible says go to the throne of grace with confidence and you'll receive help in time of need i I think that this means that god will empower our spirit to make the right decision, that he may bring someone along to walk alongside of us. I don't think this means that a golden nugget will pop out of heaven and give us spiritual strength, but we we have to take God at his promise right here that he's going to help us at the exact time when we need it. The right help at the right time can sometimes make all the difference. So let's go to the throne of grace for help when we're tempted when we're tempted to fall out on Christ, when we're tempted with a temptation that would lead us away from Christ, when we're tempted to not be faithful to Christ, this is a, a beckoning. Hey, Jesus has experienced it. Come to the throne of grace and you'll receive help right when you need it. Before we close, I wanna, I wanna show you how, um, what an amazing uh, and incredible privilege this is to be invited to go to the throne of grace for help. We could read this and just see, okay, we're supposed to pray, and I think that is what we're supposed to do, that we're supposed to pray. But even the language that the author uses right here, to approach the throne of grace with confidence for help, that is amazing. A little more Bible background, Bible Bible background knowledge right here. The throne of grace, God's heavenly throne is pictured, was pictured on earth by the mercy seat in the temple. So, back to the Old Testament, the people of God in the temple or the the tabernacle where the people of God would worship and make sacrifices, God's heavenly throne was pictured by the mercy seat in the innermost room of the temple. And that's actually where the high priest would go to make sacrifices on the Day of Atonement. Nobody was allowed to approach God's throne, to go into that room to approach God's throne. You'd die. In Leviticus, uh, God even gives the high priest instructions, the one day of year that you can go in to approach the the, uh, throne of God, the mercy seat. The high priest had to take a bath. He had to put on holy clothes. And he could only go in one day a year. And God gave him instructions so that he wouldn't die, so that he'd do it correctly, so that he wouldn't die. It's a big deal to go before a king's throne. A holy God, it's a big deal but to go before a throne. And what does this tell us to do? This is amazing. This says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. Whenever you need help, whenever you're struggling, whenever you have, are tempted to turn back on God, or whenever you're tempted to, 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 to lash out at your family, or, or mothers, whenever you're exhausted, and you've changed diapers, and you've Change more diapers, and you've changed more diapers and fed kids food, and then your husband makes a mistake. This is a time, go to, you're invited in to go to the throne of grace. I see some people laughing. I probably need to get on to me and husbands right now too. I'm, I'm gonna be in trouble. Husbands, whenever you have worked a long day and you come home and wanna lash out at the kids, God invites us. What an incredible opportunity to approach the throne of grace that nobody could approach. One day a year, the high priest, after taking a bath and putting on holy clothes, and God's grace and mercy would disseminate out to the people, and there would be restored fellowship, their sins would be forgiven. God promised us, we come to the throne of grace, we'll receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Let us be people who are quick to regularly and expectantly approach the throne of grace. We don't even have to pay for it. Imagine going before a king or a governor or you kind of got to know somebody, to get in the door, you got to do something. God has an open door policy right now. Anytime you want to, I love to help you. I love to be the hero who gives you the strength at the exact time you need it. So Crawford Avenue Baptist Church, let us be a church that holds fast to our confession, that follows Jesus faithfully, And in doing that, the way to do that, let us be quick and expectant and joyfully go to the throne of grace in prayer and ask him for help. Jesus has been there. He's experienced sorrows, the temptations, the sufferings, and he is happy to help you. In our fight for faithfulness, let us be quick to go to the throne of grace. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the incredible opportunity to come before you right now. God, that we can go before your heavenly throne and ask for help. Wow. God, help us to believe that there's real power there, that this isn't just a a religious ritual, uh, religious tradition that we're supposed to pray, but God, that we can come before the God who created the universe, who has all-powerful, We can come before you and ask for help. And you love to help us. Thank you for that privilege. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you for our high priest who has experienced all of our temptations and our frailty and sufferings yet without sin. Thank you that we have such a good high priest. May we hold fast to our confession. and May we worship you now in Jesus' name.